Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Wednesday the 23rd of October 2019. Some 312 years to the day that UK Parliament met for the very first time and it feels like Brexit has been going on for almost as long. Mark Pender is across the pond on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. On paper, outside of Brexit, of course, it's a relatively quiet time for financial markets, ahead of what is really a bumper period for major events and data next week. These will include from the US, the October employment report, FOMC meeting and quarterly refunding announcement. And elsewhere, we'll get policy statements from the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Japan, as well as flash preliminary GDP and inflation from the Eurozone. Before we get there, though, let's have a look at how things stand at the moment and what recent developments might mean going forward. Mark, not mm -hmm. the most important week for data your side, but no. has there been or do you think there will be anything new to sway expectations about the headmite vote next Wednesday? Oh, uh, if it uh, does, uh, if there will be anything this week, it would be coming from the Durable Goods Report, uh, which will be on Thursday tomorrow. Uh, what we're looking at here are core capital goods. What those are are basically machinery and the materials to make uh, machinery uh, that in turn produces goods. This excludes commercial goods. This excludes uh, defense goods, and this uh, excludes aircraft. Um, and this reading, uh, which is part of the GDP mix into a non-residential uh, investment, is uh, hasn't been going very well, uh, and uh, at least it, it didn't in, in August at all, with a, a small decline. Um, and uh, that's what they're expecting. Uh, that's what forecasters are, are looking at again: is uh, yet another small decline uh, for this reading. A 0.2 percent is the economy uh, consensus, and the range is actually pretty uh, negative. At minus uh, 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 0.3 in the low end to 0.1 plus. Uh, barely any gain at all, uh, and those are the most, and those are the strongest optimists. Um, why this is so important for the Federal Reserve is um, it's a series of uh, delineations um, with global trade uh, uh, slowing um, that puts demand for U.S. goods uh, that lowers demand for U.S. goods, and when uh, this is lowered, in turn. Uh, demand for business investment uh, to invest in new equipment and new machines to make um, more goods uh, will come down. And uh, that is what we're seeing. And so the, the Federal Reserve is very specifically highly focused on this uh, one particular thing. Uh, and uh, as the leading uh, uh, element in w the outlook for the manufacturing sector. Okay, interesting. With regards to that, can I ask you, um, the same uh -huh. day over day after, we get the uh, flash composite PMI figures, don't we, for um, October. Uh -huh. Do you, does the Fed pay much attention to those, or are they not so sort of survey interested? Well, I hate to say something negative about uh, such a sweeping uh, suite of, of, of economic data that's produced by market economics. But uh, they're not very, very closely, in, in, in contrast to everywhere else, they're not very closely watched here. Um, in fact, we barely get any forecasts at all from our, uh, from our uh, uh, panel. Um, and so it's, it, it, they have long been um, highly focused on the ISM, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, uh, and they've been doing this for a, a, a much longer time, have a much more established 
uh, 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 sample, do, sample base. You know, if you so look, I can I ask just, you, do, do they, do they yeah. differ much in terms of the results? Are they very different? Well, do you tend to get conflicting stories? Do they move uh, in line? Actually, everything kind of moves in line. I mean, I can tell you right now, just give me a second to open up the, um, the file. Uh, but uh, they basically move in line. Um, what has happened, though, is that the, um, the ISM has moved more dramatically in line. And uh, let me just get that right up here. And so I when guess they, actually what I'm, sort of, what I'm sort of coming down to, could you use the flash PMI as a leading indicator of the, uh, the ISM number? Oh, I see, because it comes out a week. Yeah, yeah, I just wonder if, if there's any kind of correlation. Yeah, there. you could, but it wouldn't work in the last several months. The uh, I'm looking at it right now. Market's number has basically leveled out at the 50, 50.6 through the summer, and then coming up to 51.1. That is going in the opposite direction of the ISM, which hit a, a multi, I don't even know how I forget, how many years, uh, uh, the 47.8 reading that we saw um, for September. Uh, that was not anticipated at all uh, by... Uh, the uh, market's PMI, but it was kind of indicated by core capital goods. So, you know, that gets us back to the durable goods report. And this is the contrast between definitive data and leading, you know, anecdotal data that, can, that might give you a clue. But if you look at the trends for both of these ISM and, and market together over the last several years uh, or the last year, uh, they're both kind of going down. So there's just, and right now, uh, that, but that ISM number, it really can't be overstated. Um, the uh, the uh, psychological significance this has on uh, economists and their outlook. Okay, interesting. All right, then. Well, let's have a, a quick look at Europe. And I guess, although I don't really want to say it's all about Brexit, um, even with an ECB meeting tomorrow, that's Thursday, I'm afraid it is. So what's the latest? Well, try and boil things down as, as well as I can do. UK Parliament, then, has finally accepted a Brexit proposal for the first time since the, the Brexit button was pressed back in March 2016. Now, that's quite an achievement for Prime Minister Johnson, and it's certainly more than his predecessor, Theresa May, ever managed. However, yesterday's vote in favour of Johnson's new deal with the EU was really only a starting point. If it continues to go ahead, um, and it will no doubt be subject to a number of amendments that may or may not be palatable to the government and could take weeks, if not months, to be ratified anyway. Moreover, the Prime Minister, who is still quite clearly desperate to get Brexit delivered by October the 31st, the, the current Brexit deadline, proposed well, what was ultimately a ridiculously short timetable for the House of Commons and the House of Lords to debate his bill. And this was aimed at really ramming the bill through both houses and was duly voted down. Consequently, he's decided to put the legislation on hold for the time being. So it currently means that Parliament is no longer discussing his bill and wants to see what the EU leaders are going to say. Now, currently, the rest of the EU is deciding what to do about the UK's request for an extension, which Johnson, very reluctantly, was obliged to, uh, to, to write after losing another vote at the weekend. Now, the strong likelihood is that EU will say yes to the extension request, but at this stage, it's not clear how long they'll actually prepare to, to give it for. The UK has, under the, uh, the Ben Act, uh, which forced Johnson to, to write his letter, um, looks for the 31st of January next year, so a three-month extension. It may be that's what the EU would grant. There's an outside chance, I think it is an outside chance, that it'll actually decline any, any such request, but they may actually want to go for a shorter um, extension or even a longer one. At this stage, we really don't know. So what next? Well, 
I suppose something we've got to say as a result of recent days, one thing is that Parliament has at least shown a willingness to agree a deal. And that must mean that the likelihood of Brexit actually happen, happening has risen significantly. The stumbling block now really is the timetable. Now, the government is concerned that were there to be a long delay, so effectively, let's say, a three, six month extension or, or even longer that, than that, that would give the opportunity for a possible string of amendments from the opposition parties that might lead to yet further extensions, slow down the whole process even more, and ultimately just leave the existing bill, well, on its, on its own to, to die its own death. So it does seem, as we currently sort of talk, that the next step may well be an early general election. That's certainly what the Prime Minister is touting at the moment. However, it's not as easy as that, because if we're going to have an early general election, we have a fixed five-year parliamentary term now. In order to override that fixed-year term, um, the Parliament has to have at least two-thirds majority of MPs in favour of doing so. And it's not clear at the moment that there's enough of uh, members from the opposition parties who are actually prepared to come out and do that. And one reason for that is that there's been some opinion polls out over the last week or so, which have suggested that the ruling Conservatives, well, they're running around about 36% or so on average in these opinion polls, and that's 12 percentage points above Labour. So taking at face value, or you'll know just how good these opinion polls may and may not be, but taking at face value, it suggests that the Conservatives would beat Labour quite comfortably. Jeremy, so, yeah. uh, you, you said that um, the vote to accept the Brexit proposal indicates a willingness uh, uh, to do a deal. Uh, okay, I have a couple questions about that. Uh, the first question is, as the deal stands now, which seems to uh, include uh, Northern Ireland in the EU uh, or, or in some kind of a, a ambiguous way or, or more toward the EU, certainly than... Um, than than the UK, which uh -huh. or, the, the, or or Great Britain, which is uh, I guess uh, would be completely uh, you know uh, uh, separated. But um, would that be considered a soft Brexit? I think it would do, and I think it's you now again if we go back to our little litmus test of what financial markets are thinking and looking at what's happening to the sterling euro exchange rate over the course of what let's say the last week or so, we've seen uh, sterling euro appreciate by four almost five percentage points, and that's really on the assumption that as these various votes and debates and developments have, have taken place, markets have become increasingly I might say convinced, but completely happy, complete increasingly happy. With the idea that it's much more likely we're going to see some kind of Brexit deal and a deal which makes leaves them quite quite content with the way what with the way the economy could perform afterwards, and that means a soft deal. So I think as things currently stand at the moment, you've got to say yes, it looks like quite a soft Brexit. Well, how big is a piece is uh, Northern Ireland uh, economically? Uh, is Economically, it's just a few percentage points. But of course, the whole point here is, is, is the politics. It's not the economics. What the worry is here that um, we could see, well, the whole point of the, the so-called dreaded backstop, as it was so-called, was to prevent any kind of barrier uh, coming between Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland. You know, it goes back to the Good Friday Agreement and trying to ensure that they maintain peace across the, the island of Ireland. Mm -hmm. The danger has always been, of course, that ultimately, because 
because Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, were the UK to lead the European Union, then the Northern Ireland would lead the European Union, but Ireland, Southern Ireland would still be part of it. So necessarily that would suggest that there should be some kind of borderline then between Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland. But, but, there's, so, really not, but there's really not going to be a hard border here under uh, this plan that's been accepted. There's not. That's right. I mean, under Johnson's plan, um, I mean, Northern Ireland would lead the EU's customs union alongside of the rest of the UK at the start of 2021. But it would continue to apply EU legislation relating to things like agricultural uh, and other products. And this arrangement could then, in theory, continue indefinitely. That sounds infinitely complicated and contradictory on the surface. Right. It, well, it's, it's not going to be easy. I and mean, one of the worries about it is just how feasible it is. Now, the idea is that now, implicit you know, within this, there's going to be some kind of boundary checks between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. But the view is that these checks effectively are going to be made well away from the border. And indeed, ultimately, it kind of means that there's going to be a sort of border between uh, Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Northern Ireland are hugely unhappy about and Crucially, it's one reason why the, the DUP, the Ulster Unionists, um, are absolutely furious with Boris Johnson coming up with this proposal. So this proposal may be you know, OK as far as the rest of the European Union is concerned. But for Northern Ireland, which very much want to remain completely tied to the rest of the UK, you know, it's seen as putting them very much on the back seat uh, and treating them as almost like a, you know, a, a secondary nation. Can we lurch into politics um, about this, which ultimately is uh, uh, interesting as well? Is you know, um, is Scotland um, when they look at Northern Ireland, um, they're going. Uh, Scotland voted uh, against Brexit, correct? Right? And now they're going to be, uh, from their point of view, perhaps suffering because of Brexit. Yet they look at Northern Ireland, and they're going to see someone that's suffering less. Is that a valid way to look at it? It is. And I think there's an awful lot of uh, Scottish nationalists at the moment who are a bit like well, some people on Northern Ireland side are extremely ha- unhappy with what's going on. Um, the way things stand at the moment, Northern Ireland will still have, if you like, a very soft border uh, with the, with Southern Ireland. But for the likes of Scotland, of course, as part of the rest of the UK, it will no longer be part of the European Union and will have effectively a border with Ireland now. So they're right about a lot of competitiveness there. And indeed, something which has become more and more apparent as this long process of Brexit has continued to evolve um, is that it seems that there's almost certainly going to be another independence referendum for Scotland. So um, it, is this Brexit thing an England-centric uh, 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 thing uh, um, at the expense of, um, of Scotland and Ireland? I think Scotland and Ireland would probably maintain, well, so certainly you know, adhere to that kind of view because at the end of the day, it's, it's England which really voted to come out of the union. The Scots were very much pro-remaining. Um, so I think, yeah, you've got to say at the end of the day, you know, England dominates uh, the United Kingdom, um, has the greatest number of members of parliament, and ultimately what the English parliament says you know, dictates what's going to happen to the UK. So I think the Yes. I'm sorry, do you see nationalists in Scotland and Ireland, Northern Ireland now, perhaps, uh, you know, coming out even stronger after all this? Yeah, I think that's almost certainly going to happen. 
Um, we know that Nicola Sturgeon, who heads up the, uh, the Scottish National Party, um, mm-hmm. wants to have a second referendum, looking perhaps to hold it next year. Now, they did have the first referendum, of course, and people in Scotland at that stage wanted to remain part of the United Kingdom. But mm-hmm. as a result of this Brexit deal, there's a lot of people now who are really very, very unhappy about it north of the border. So a mm-hmm. second referendum's got to be a possibility, or, or mm-hmm. not a probability, and it might well go the other way this time. Well, now, speaking of a second referendum now that uh, the Brexit proposal has been accepted by Parliament does that really throw out the risk that there would be a, a, a second vote on the original Brexit uh, um, question? Not completely, no, because let's suppose we get um, a second, uh, sorry, an early general election. And let's suppose the opinion polls have got it wrong and the Labour Party win it, and perhaps mm-hmm. they, they win it with a coalition of the Liberal Democrats. Uh-huh. Now, essentially, both those parties are saying, well, look, if we have a Brexit deal, we want to put it to the people and a second referendum to decide uh-huh. where they actually want it. So uh-huh. I think were we to see a swing in favour of Labour and the Lib Dems, then we could actually still see a second referendum, even though, you know, it probably uh-huh. if you had a vote within Parliament, they'd still, I suspect they'd still vote against it, although not, there, not as much as they did previously. If there was a second referendum, that uh, would imply that it would overrule the first uh, uh, vote. There wouldn't be a third vote, a tiebreaker, right? So the question I have is, it's uh, to me, a, a political precedent to um, shelve uh, a democratic vote would set a precedent that in the future other democratic votes could be shelved. It's a it's a, a, a fair point. Um, I think some people would argue against it and I think uh, my own personal view is that what uh, the general public just about voted for, if we go back what three years or so ago now, um, was on the basis of very incomplete information and without the knowledge of you know where we currently stand in terms of a Brexit deal. And the idea was that it would be basically the UK would leave but still be able to trade completely freely with the European Union and we'd almost you know cherry pick whatever we wanted, which of course was never going to happen. But I think so much has changed and so many there's so much additional information has come out during the course of the last three years that personally speaking Although, yes, we have had a referendum three years ago, just over three years ago, because the situation has changed so much, I think a second referendum would be perfectly valid. How about Um, the hardcore Brexit people? What do you think that how they would view it? Oh, well, they would be completely cheesed off. I mean, their view is that we voted for Brexit. We want Brexit. Where is Brexit? Uh But I suspect, I mean, it's interesting. If you look at the opinion polls, I think, you know, by and large, I think the underlying story is that if we were to have a second referendum tomorrow, probably the Remainers would win it. But they would win it by perhaps a tighter margin as the Brexiteers won it last time round. So mm-hmm. essentially, the country is still, to all intents and purposes, split down the middle. What about those street uh, demonstrations we're seeing with the Remainers uh, last week? Are the uh, are the Brexit people uh, getting out in the street at the same numbers? Uh, is it just because it's London that you're seeing uh, this? Remainer? I think yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, certainly London, because I mean, London is very much you know, pro-Europe. It's the financial centre of the UK. Um, for or people working in the financial industry, access into the European markets is hugely important. So it's no big surprise that London voted to remain. And yes, it does mean because we've got uh, the Houses of Parliament sitting on the, just over the north side of the River Thames in Westminster, it's going to be surrounded 
more likely by Remain is, is going to be Brexiteers. But it's got to be said, there's a lot of very unhappy Brexiteers sitting up in, you know, I don't know, the likes of uh, Yorkshire and the northern counties who clearly want to be out of the European Union. So I think yeah, probably the media coverage has focused more on the Remainers because there's more of them down south. But at the end of the day, so the country really is still very much split. Okay, um, good old Brexit. Watch this Ooh. space, as they say, because it certainly ain't over yet. Um, what else should we be mentioning, if anything? Probably not that much. I think the big stuff is going to be next week. Next week. Next week is a yep. clobber, man. It is it's a, a huge lot. one. It is. Excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to that. All right. Okay. Well, we'll let people um, get ready to tune in for next week's exciting instalment then. When we have, say, a whole load of stuff hitting the proverbial fan. Um, so let's end it there. Um, as ever, from Mark and myself, uh, thanks very much for listening. Do keep an eye on the Economy's global economic calendar to keep up to date with what is going on. And we'll be back next week for the big one. Bye for now. <laughs>